Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm Edie's senior reporter, Sarah George, and you're listening to me speaking from my dining room table in East Sussex. Because while the pubs might be open now, the Edie office isn't quite yet. So it's going to be a little longer of a wait before there is an editorial team reunion. I did try and persuade my content editor, Luke Nichols, to dial in with me for this episode, but he's become a bit of a lockdown cliche and told me that he has purchased a hot tub. Um, So I'm not sure when I'll be hearing from him again. Um, And as for our content editor, Matt Mace, he is currently out getting his first proper haircut since February. And by proper, I mean not done at home and not done with clippers that were intended for pets. Um, So I'm afraid it's just me here hosting this episode. But I'm not here to talk to you about pubs or haircuts or hot tubs or as much as I would like to, um, to spend an hour poking fun at the guys. I'm here with you guys today because it is officially plastic free July. July 2020 is going to go down as the month that lockdown began easing in the UK. But all of this aside, it is still Plastic Free July, a campaign that was launched in 2011 by the Plastic Free Foundation. The Plastic Free Foundation is a non-profit on a mission to create a world free from plastic waste. And their month-long campaign provides resources and ideas to help individuals and organisations alike reduce their reliance on single-use plastic over the course of 31 days. The view is that they will change their behaviours or processes in the long term. It also helps individuals, communities, SMEs and other smaller groups to put big pressure on the bigger businesses and the policy makers that are typically accused of causing plastic pollution. Plastic Free July is a pretty consumer facing campaign, but it always strives to emphasise the ways in which individuals can interact with businesses and with policy makers and vice versa. So for the first part of this podcast, um, I'm delighted that ED assembled a panel of speakers representing different parts of the movement to phase out single-use plastics. Um, On our first panel for you today, we have Sean Sutherland, the co-founder of A Plastic Planet, Hugo Tagholm, the chief executive at Surface Against Sewage, and Nicola Muse, group indirect procurement director at Perno Ricard. Each of these speakers is driving a plastic-free initiative of their own within their own organisation. A Plastic Planet has been working on plastic-free aisles for some years now and recently debuted what it claims is the world's first plastic-free PPE. Surface Against Sewage, meanwhile, has been continuing to work on its plastic-free communities initiative throughout lockdown and have been continually contributing to the all-party parliamentary group for ocean conservation. Perno Ricard has recently moved one of its key targets around plastics. The beverage giant was initially set to remove single-use plastics from all point-of-sale products by 2025, but back in May the deadline was pushed forward to 2021, following good progress to date. So it was exciting to hear from all of these voices at once. I won't keep you waiting much longer, so without further ado, here is that panel discussion in full. So it is a pleasure to have such a great panel on the podcast today and I am sitting here talking virtually to Hugo, Sean and Nicholas. Um, So welcome along all and I can see that it looks like all of us are working from home at the moment so it would be good to get an update on how you guys are working um, at the moment and what lockdown has been like for you. If I go sort of clockwise on how I'm seeing you on my screen, should we start with Nicholas? 
thank you. So hello everyone, and thank you for inviting me in the podcast. So today I'm sitting in the office. I'm, I'm happy to see you see that uh, like being home. So it means it's a nice office. Uh, so we are in Paris back two days a week in the office and trying to cross each other, not exceeding 50% of, uh, of the team at the office. But it's mm. quite good to be back in the office, clearly. Mm. And how about yourself, Hugo? Well, yeah, I've actually been at our office um, up on the rugged north coast of Cornwall um, today, but I'm back at home. And uh, that's probably a good example of how things are opening up. Um, most of our team is working from home and working really effectively from home. Um, and the office is turning into sort of the new space where we come together at safe distance for discussions and for the meetings we might need to do face to face. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a, a new working sort of life. Um, and uh, some really good good learnings during lockdown, particularly about um, flexible working um, and mm. empowering people to work from home and using technology like this on Teams to, uh, to get people to connect more easily, um, reduce their carbon footprint, of course, um, and to work in ways that suit them. Mm. I bet you're missing London though, Hugo, because every time I've seen you, it's been at a parliamentary or business event in London. I know you get around quite a lot at Toledo. Yeah. This is the longest I've been in Cornwall in one continuous um, stint for over a decade. Um, and it does feel slightly strange. And I am looking forward to uh, having a cup of coffee with um, people in London soon um, and, uh, you know, doing the normal sort of meetings. But um, it's been very effective time, too. So I haven't felt disconnected from the, the people we need to work with. Oh, fantastic. And how about yourself, Sean? Well, I'm I am sitting in the middle of London and I miss London too. Because <laughs> uh, I, I really, I mean, for, for us at the Plastic Planet, to be honest, it's um, it, it's not been highly disruptive for us because we've always worked virtually. So we tend to come together in, in the various clubs in Soho when we want to work together. What I really miss, though, is is that whole little sparkiness that you get from meeting people in the real. And much as, of course, technology has stepped in and really saved us and enabled business to carry on um, as close to some degree of normality as possible. I think the just seeing people in the real, things happen that don't happen when you're just looking at a screen. So that's that's the main bit that I've missed. But from from a, an actual um, impact and effectiveness, really, we have been able to, to carry on seamlessly, I think. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and everyone that I have on the podcast here is part of an organisation that was running a plastic free initiative sort of pre pandemic. So Surfers Against Sewage has been working on its plastic free communities initiative for some time now and is also helping the all party parliamentary group for ocean conservation on plastics and other issues. Um, A Plastic Planet has its plastic free aisles and packaging projects and Perno Ricard recently moved its 2025 deadline for taking single use plastics out of all front facing products um, forward to 2021. So these were all really great initiatives that there was a lot of excitement around pre-pandemic so it'd be good to get an update on how progress is going with with these and what reframing you guys have had to do for these these projects due to the current situation um i see hugo nodding (laughs) quite a lot there so perhaps i should start with you well look it's been a a really interesting um 
you know, a few years since 2017, you know, particularly with the, the growth in you know, public interest in, in plastic pollution and all of the actions, the great work that Sean's doing, the sort of communities that are coming together behind our work, the beach cleaners, the, you know, 100,000 volunteers we work with every year, the 700 plastic free communities and all of the voices connecting together to push on the legislation we need to really stop plastic at source um, and call for plastic reduction um, in sort of society. Um, There's no doubt that the pandemic has had a huge impact on sort of that movement and sort of meant that it sort of turned at sort of 90 degrees at the moment. And there is a huge threat, not just with the sort of PPE littering and and plastic pollution we're seeing, which is one thing. But more to the point is that some of the legislation that was in train has been slowed up. Some of the action and commitments that were were put forward by by industry have now slowed down or been taken off the table. Um, And we're seeing uh, real threats um, because of the, you know, the sort of production of single use plastics and particularly um, we're concerned about the the hygiene message being exploited by the plastic bear moths in in our in our world to pump more plastic into the environment um, and capitalize on people's fears during the pandemic. Mm. And Sean, I know that the sort of hygiene and PPE piece is something that a plastic planet have been working on. We covered you guys' launch of plastic free um, PPE, namely face shields and a recycling system for that. But um, do you have more information on that and some of the other things you're working on and perhaps what has happened to um, things like plastic free aisles and plastic free festival tents at, at this time? Yes, so we we launched plastic free PPE. We co-created that with an inventor and a materials manufacturer and a production house because we really wanted to prove that we don't have to use plastic, toxic, indestructible plastic as the default for everything. And it is absolutely possible for us to protect ourselves and our planet. And just as Hugo was saying, we have seen this pandemic as being a a moment that has been thoroughly exploited by the fossil fuel industry, especially in the US, uh, to push back a lot of the existing plastic bag bans and great, you know, the the single-use plastic ban in the UK suddenly was delayed for six months. And what we're not seeing is that we're in a time where everybody is saying these words of, we are standing by the scientists, we're listening to the science on this through the whole of the pandemic, and yet nobody is really listening to the science on plastic. So we wanted to prove uh, that an option is available and we can have plastic-free PPE. And then the other things that we've been pushing as well is you may well have seen some of the BBC uh, Radio 4 exposure last week about where our waste is going. And one of the things that we pushed for from January 2019 is an early day motion in UK Parliament requesting a ban, an outright ban on the export of our plastic waste to developing countries. And a lot of the waste exporters have already predicted that this this ban is going to come into place. It's now included in our environment bill. Um, and they've been finding loopholes and the loopholes are sending it to places like Turkey. So every single day, the UK alone are shipping over 200 huge shipping containers to Turkey imagining that that this plastic waste is being recycled. So we're very keen that this kind of waste um, imperialism, really, we have to stop this exploitation of developing countries particularly. So we've been really pushing for that export ban. 
And then the other thing is just how do we keep when everything about health is, is on the front pages and it's very difficult to get any kind of share of media voice right now when we're talking about plastics. One of the things we were quite pleased with last week is we're pl part of the Plastic Health Coalition. And the Health Coalition is the first time that the world's environmental toxicologists, doctors and, and scientists have come together to irrefutably prove the impact of plastic toxicity on human health. And the first health summit was held last October. And just as you're experiencing in your organization, Sarah, you know, that, that that's going to be pushed back to next year now. So we'll be missing one. But in the last couple of weeks, we've been releasing some of the new research results, especially on the amount of microplastics and nanoplastics now found in fruit and vegetables. So all of this is new science, recently peer reviewed, and there'll be a lot more of that information that will be coming out of the next six months. So things don't stop. The other thing that we've been working very hard on is lockdown actually has really served us well uh, on giving us breathing space with our plastic free certification mark. And we've taken six months to press pause on certifying any new brands and to reauthor the whole standard and process of our plastic recertification, working with some materials experts and certification experts so that we create something that is entirely robust and unassailable by, by any people out there who may want to see that plastic remark fail. So we've been pretty busy. You know, the, the aisle was two years ago and has been the catalyst that we wanted. Um, but there's a lot of other things that that has led to. No, it's certainly an odd time. There's definitely some things standing forward, others sadly pushing back and others um, accelerating. And it, has, it is on the acceleration piece good that we have still got um, business commitments in. And Nicola, I see that the announcement from Perno Ricardo was actually made um, in in May um, in the middle of, of lockdown. Um, so I think it'd be good to give an overview of sort of what that target entails and what will have to be done to to meet it especially in the context of, of COVID-19. So indeed it's quite interesting to see that at our modest level because compared to what you were saying we are in the other direction and indeed we continued to really push for uh, banning single-use plastic POS. POS meaning point of sales of point of services so the items that are facing our uh, final consumers uh, we started that prior to the pandemic. Uh, indeed, it started in 2018 with the ban of um, plastic straws and stirrers from all events and from all our stocks and proposals. And based on this um, momentum, we decided together with a, a larger SNR roadmap launched by the group, uh, we wanted to go further into making sure we rethink in the way we produce or even develop our items that are facing consumers. So this is really the main thing. And I would say pandemic in one way has helped us to accelerate it, or not fully because here the previous target was 25. So it's a four year uh, advance of target. And this is because of the work that was done within the group. Not only the pandemic who helped us to really focus even more on it, but already there has been a huge um, appetite from all our uh, colleagues that clearly understand the issue uh, of the single-use plastic to, to embrace this uh, philosophy and to say, okay, let's, uh, let's move on that. We shall be actors on it. And uh, that's why we are taking this uh, aggressive but feasible uh, 
um, deadline here, we want to get rid of all of them by 21. Mm -hmm. That's great. And I think we've talked a bit about the, the current context, but then I know especially Hugo and Sian, you also talked about what might happen um, as we come out of this, particularly um, in, in the policy space as, mm -hmm. as, as well. Um, so a bit of a bold question, but what do you think a sort of post-pandemic world will look like um, in, in the plastics conversation, seeing as there are parts, as we've seen, moving faster, um, groups asking to move slower and just pauses elsewhere? Well, look, I think um, it's a, a really interesting question. And I, we're seeing, of course, the, the easing of lockdown at the moment. And uh, we're seeing a huge debate in the public sort of space um, on plastic pollution on our beaches, in our parks, on our city streets. Um, and um, and it's defaulting to the old sort of mentality of, of littering and litter bugs. Now, look, we wouldn't ever condone um, littering at all. But um, these these incidents are really just a sign of just how much pointless and polluting pl plastic there is in our world um, and that our systems aren't fit to, to cope with that plastic. So, you know, just as Sean says, we're even when we do the right thing with it, we're exporting this plastic to countries that simply can't cope with it and brushing the issue under the carpet um, whilst patting ourselves on the back. So we really need a radical overhaul of our systems and the materials that we're using and our sort of fear is that you know moving forward the industry continues to lay the blame at the public's doorstep calling out plastic pollution as litter instead they should be focusing on really supporting progressive legislation really supporting deposit return systems plastic bans and reduction targets within the environment bill we really need to see reduction targets for this plastic pollution and plastic production and with those sorts of targets we can then truly see a, a world that will have less plastic polluting our ocean our beaches our parks and our wild spaces mm -hmm. And Nicola, I, I, I will admit that I haven't really been keeping an eye on what the lockdown restrictions are currently um, like in France and the EU. I don't know if this is something that you guys have been dealing with, with spaces opening up and people meeting and people all of a sudden talking about litter and packaging again. Alors, to be honest with you, from what I saw, that was not the main topic of discussion uh, after the end of lockdown. The first one is... Uh, is clearly being so happy to meet again and to be close to your friends. So um, that's not the main topic. Second topic you can see appearing is a potential uh, economic crisis coming over, which is frightening people. Alors, I will say, and I won't enter this, but fully or not at all, it depends uh, on the way people uh, behave. Uh, but then obviously there is a, the third topic coming back is saying, wow, is that a new normal or is that the last previous situation happening again? Because first reaction you see when you are in a city that was without cars, without pollution, where you could, you could hear birds and whatsoever, this is the third topic coming back saying, oh, it was quite good to be uh, in, um, in, 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 you know, in a, in a place where you can um, where you benefit from nature directly. So. I believe it will come back because of that, because of the experience and long time experience of living again with nature, especially in the city. Mm -hmm. Well, fingers crossed. And Sean, what's your thought on this? Do you think it's going to be the new normal or the, or the old normal? That's a good question. Well, 
I, I absolutely agree with Nicholas that I think that that generally the public society have through this time they've recognized the absolute fragility of our environmental, our societal and our economic systems and the very connectedness of that. And I think, you know, it's human nature that we always really want what we what we are not allowed to have. And for many weeks, we were not allowed to go out there and really enjoy nature in the way that we that we did previously. So we appreciate it, I feel, so much more now. So I think that this um, this real uh, readoption of plastic as the default for everything um, and the you know ignoring the impact that it has had, the devastation that it's having on our oceans, our soil, our air, everything and our own human health. I think it would be temporary. And I think as we do start to emerge out of our little cocoons, that there will be a big swing back. That pendulum will swing back with force and people will really want to reconnect with nature in a way that we haven't for decades. And I hope that one of the side effects of this is going to be that we do not go back to consuming in the way that we were consuming that we only buy things, you know, ideally from Pernod Ricard, that we actually consume, that we eat and we drink and we enjoy. And we'll stop buying this relentless amount of stuff that we really don't need. And I've, I've noticed so many governments globally have been saying it is now, it is our absolute public duty to go out and buy, go out and shop. And I've seen a big pushback to that of people saying, I've lost that habit. That little ding of dopamine that I was getting just when I bought a new something, a new T-shirt, a new something that I don't need. And I hope that we don't lose that because I think that will be that will be a trigger, a massive lever of change. If we buy less stuff, I think we will buy better stuff and therefore we will have to make better stuff. And then all of these things will bring us back to a better kind of circularity. I think there's a big push of a right to repair. Why is everything so throwaway now? And that has grown up really for us, thinking that it's completely normal for us to use something and then throw it in the bin. It's not normal. So that's the kind of abnormality that I hope we never go back to. But I'm very positive that if we do, if if our governments do what they say that they're going to do, that we will see some big strides because we all know, we've all, you know, Naomi Klein um, shock doctrine, if you want to make change happen, you do it at a moment of crisis. And when we're talking about things like introducing true EPR, extended producer responsibility, that again could be a massive lever of change. If you decide to use a particular material to create something that is ultimately going to be thrown away, you are responsible for it, for its second, third, fourth, fifth, forever life. That's the kind of world that we all need to strive for. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot recently of people saying, oh, well, the 2008-9 crash was a missed opportunity. As devastating it was, it was a crisis that um, went to waste, but that ultimately bigger changes will probably have to come now, seeing as that crisis didn't have a public health um, aspect to it. Exactly, because we're very selfish as a species. And one thing we care about is our own health. And now we've realised that what we are doing to nature living against it rather than living with it, um, that it's not going to work. And it, it always makes me laugh when you see people saying, oh, you know, I'm using a, a, a reusable cup because I'm trying to save the planet. We're not trying to save the planet. We're trying to save ourselves. You know, the planet is going to be fine. And we've just had a great demonstration of that. When we're not involved, the planet is really thriving. We're the problem. Great. Well, I think that's a good note to end on and something really poignant for everyone to consider. So I'd like to take this time to thank you all for being on the panel for this podcast today.
Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sarah. So once again, thank you to Sean, Hugo and Nicholas for coming on the call. And hopefully it won't be too long before we can facilitate a panel discussion like that in person again. For the second half of this Plastic Free July podcast special, I dialed into California to check in with HP's Chief Sustainability and Social Impact Officer, Ellen Joukowsky. HP has recently shaken up its sustainability team and published its latest annual sustainable impact report, which contains not only updated stats and facts, but some new commitments. Among them is a target to use 75% less single-use plastic packaging in 25 than was used in 2018. We've covered quite a lot of plastic-related news from HP over the years, so it was interesting to see this update, which, in my humble opinion, is a lot bolder than some of its past announcements. HP had previously pledged to source 30% recycled content for plastic packaging used across its personal systems and print hardware products by 2025, of which progressively more would be certified as ocean-bound. So it's interesting that the new commitment charts a path not just to better plastic, but to less plastic overall. So without further ado, here is our exclusive interview with Ellen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sustainable Business Covered podcast today, Ellen. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. No, any time. And I understand that you're dialing in from a wildly different time zone to me at the moment. Yes, I'm here in San Francisco, right by our headquarters. Mm -hmm. And how have you guys been working during the pandemic? I know that lockdown has been different in even different states, let alone um, different countries. And as a result, everyone's had to be really agile and change how they're working um, the whole time. So what has the sustainability team been, been up to during this period? Yeah, well, I think like so many other folks around the world, we're adjusting as quickly as possible to the new normal. And, you know, all figuring out how to work better remotely from our homes. Um, and thanks to technology, we can definitely easily collaborate with each other. Uh, we're learning to use tools in ways that we didn't imagine before. Um, and I think that's helping to accelerate um, some changes that we had envisioned at some point in time. But obviously, they're happening a lot faster than we might have expected. Mm. I think that's been the general consensus from a lot of thought leaders and businesses at the moment. And I, we're talking because HP is one of the sort of handful of businesses to put out a new sustainability report and new sustainability um, commitments at this time. In the sort of first few weeks of lockdown, I definitely noticed that I was getting less of these announcements. So it's good to see some really big ones um, coming back out. Yeah, well, climate change um, and some of the pressures that the world is facing certainly aren't stopping, even though we're sheltering in place. Um, you know, the environment certainly is not and human impact on it uh, isn't as well. So um, this is not a time for us to slow down this work. And I think uh, it's more important than ever to continue to accelerate it. Mm hmm. And then obviously we could sit and talk about climate all night, probably. Um, but we're on the call specifically for Plastics Free July. Um, and the report has on plastics a new target to use 75% less single-use plastic packaging by 2025. Um, and we've covered that announcement on our site, so it would be great to get a little bit more insight into how that target was developed and what now needs to make happen to make sure that HP reaches it. 
Yeah, well, plastic is a very challenging material. There are so many positive benefits to it, which is why it's continued to proliferate. Um, and even during COVID, we're seeing essentially some steps backwards where we thought we had come up with newer solutions, but we're now kind of going back to using that material um, for certain you know, instances and particularly regarding safe and healthy ben um, and, and health benefits. But, uh, you know, as we think about plastic as a material, and it's certainly important to HP, right? We make printers made of plastic. Right. And in, in our PCs, there's plenty of plastic. Um, so we rely heavily on this material. Uh, and with that comes a big responsibility to challenge ourselves on how we need to innovate and ensure that we are using it responsibly um, and managing the take back and recycling of it. Uh, as well. So uh, a while ago, we developed a plastic strategy, thinking through how we use the material, not just in our products, but also in our packaging. Mm -hmm. And there are several steps to that plastic strategy. And the, the top step is eliminate using it wherever possible. And this goal to eliminate 75% of single use plastic packaging by 2025 is part of that very first step of our plastic strategy, where we've identified places where you know, in the past, we thought, oh, wouldn't it be great when we sell our printers, for example, um, to include the instruction manual of how to launch the printer inside a nice little plastic baggie. It keeps that printer instructions, you know, very nice and tight and clean. And when you open up uh, your brand new printer, you see it in its gleaming, you know, perfectly housed um, plastic baggie. And for the customer, that's a great experience. Well, now we're rethinking that. That isn't actually a great experience. Do we really need that plastic baggie around the paper instructions? No, we don't. Uh, and that's an example of how we are going to meet this goal to eliminate 75% of single-use plastic packaging by 2025. And in fact, we recently launched a printer called the HP Tango Terra, which was our first product that had zero plastic in its packaging. Um, and again, the, the previous version of that product would have had that little plastic baggie and um, the, the launch instructions. And what we realized is we can actually not only get rid of that plastic baggie, but we can also get rid of that piece of paper with the launch instructions and just print them on the inside of the box. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we think about the role of plastic in our company and our responsibility with it, um, we're really looking hard at new ways to challenge ourselves and do things differently and ensure that at the same time, our customers are still getting the best possible experience. They're getting, you know, products that look gleaming and brand new and perfect um, when they open that box and we're delighting them just the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's refreshing to hear a bit about why plastic has been used historically I think a lot of conversations will just mention oh isn't it great that we're getting rid of it without mentioning um, why it was there in the first place and the rationale behind um, that and to that end over here in the UK we've seen a lot of companies pledging to sort of keep the same amount of plastic but just improve its recyclability or reusability or compostability and I know that's particularly um, applicable in food and beverage just because of health and safety requirements but so I wanted to ask sort of why did you go for just completely plastic free rather than making um, a sort of sort of changes to the to the properties of the plastics itself? 
Yeah, well, our, if, if you look at our plastic strategy and it's available online at hp.com slash sustainable impact, uh, you know, that first step is to eliminate it where possible. And I mentioned some examples with packaging, but we're also taking additional steps to make our products smaller and lighter and use less material, smaller printers, you know, smaller PCs, thinner and lighter, where we can eliminate um, the volumes of material we were using in the past. But there are certainly cases where we still need to use plastic. Um, and, you know, the second step of our plastic strategy is focused on, um, you know, thinking about uh, using recycled plastic instead of virgin wherever possible. And in those cases, you know, again, there comes this responsibility of how do we innovate recycled plastic material that has the same performance and features and properties of virgin plastic so that, you know, the look and feel is still seamless and delights the customer um, so that it is fully recyclable at end of life. Uh, and we, we certainly know that there is a lack of recycling infrastructure around the world, and we need to continue to advocate for increasing that wherever possible. You know, here in the United States where I am, even in California, there isn't enough recycling infrastructure, let alone in other locations across the globe that aren't as advanced in, in recycling processes. So that's also a key point for us of, you know, eliminate it where possible, move from virgin to recycled plastic, as well as enabling recycling infrastructure and easy ways for our customers to send the products back to us so we can reuse that material to create new products. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely at the point where if a plastic strategy doesn't have sort of multiple prongs or trains of action, I don't trust it completely. So it's good to hear that. Um, and the report had a bit of an update on the recycled plastics action that you talked about. Um, so the target here is to reach 30% recycled content by 2025. And the report revealed that in 2019, the proportion was at 9%. So what needs to happen now in the next five years to um, close that gap, particularly in the context of, of um, pandemic and, and post-pandemic? Yeah, I mean, a lot of innovation needs to happen. Uh, we set an industry-leading goal at 30%, although, of course, the broader vision is it needs to be 100%. We know this. We're driving long-term to a circular and low-carbon economy. But in terms of what we thought would be a very aggressive for us um, and motivate internally as well as externally the type of innovation we need to see to accelerate the use of recycled plastic, that 30% was, you know, where we landed in terms of being aggressive, driving change, and and um, needing lots of innovation inside. So as we reported, uh, last year we were at 7%. This year we're at 9% on track to hit that 30% by 2025. Um, but it, it's going to take another all-of-the-above approach around um, unlocking ac access to recycled content that we can use to build our products. So, you know, we've been... Um, working on different kind of pilots, if you will, uh, with some of our value chain partners. For example, in the US with Best Buy, we have um, uh, a process where customers can return their old HP equipment, including, for example, an old printer that they might not use anymore, um, to Best Buy. And when they do that, they would receive a discount off of a new printer uh, from HP, then Best Buy ships all of that old equipment back to our recycling facility where we disassemble it and reuse that plastic to make the new um, new printers that we're selling. So that type of process 
uh, and encouraging that full circle of returning our products back to us so that we can access um, those volumes of recycled material, that's really important. We know that you know so many companies, as they should, are setting big targets around um, plastic using more recycled content. And as part of that, we need to unlock uh, and create processes to um, be able to access that material. And that's an example of some of the ways that we're doing it. That's how um, with advancements like that and creating kind of systemic processes at each step of the material life cycle so that we can achieve that 30% goal. Mm -hmm. Great. And I know that some of the recycled plastic content that HP uses clusters ocean bound. Um, and we've covered that a lot on our survey and it always gets great reads. So I think it would be good to touch on a quick, quick update on that. Yeah. So ocean bound plastic has been part of our product stream um, now for some time. We launched an intention uh, to use ocean-bound plastic in September 2016, and our first containers were shipping of it uh, into our supply chain by March of 2017. So it was a really fast setup um, in terms of being able to extend our supply chain and help be part of the solution to the ocean plastic problem. Ever since that time, we have just continued to scale for so many reasons. Um, and one of which is, you know, how delighted and proud our employees are when they learn about what we're doing in our supply chain around this. Um, that has been a huge motivator inside the company and has helped us accelerate our progress. So in our sustainable impact report that we just launched um, recently, you'll see new numbers of ocean-bound plastics that we've used. Um, over 60 million bottles of plastic have now been used uh, and sourced to create new HP products. And that equals about 1.7 million pounds. So a leading number, I think, for our industry, um, if not across other industries. But with that plastic, we've been able to turn out uh, our first product, which was made uh, with ocean-bound plastic, the HP ink cartridge. Then we extended it to our personal system side of the business. They were looking at what print did and got really excited and said, hey, if they're doing it, maybe we can do it too. And we launched the first display monitor with ocean-bound plastic, then the first notebook PC with ocean-bound plastic, then the first mobile workstation and Chromebook with ocean-bound plastic. So this is something that our organization has um, definitely been focusing on and scaling, and we couldn't be more thrilled with, uh, with the progress that we're making. That said, we know the ocean plastic pollution problem is, you know, it's out of control, right? And it continues to get worse, um, not better. Uh, and the, the projections, if you look at those numbers, are staggering. So while we've been successful in setting up this supply chain around ocean-bound plastic, uh, we know we need to do so much more. Um, and so one of the ways that we're doing that is we've joined a consortium called Next Wave Plastics. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that group, it has companies like Ikea and Herman Miller and some of our competitors like Dell, for example, who are all working on setting up their own ocean-bound plastic supply chains. So we joined that group to be able to share what we've done and the success that we've had, as well as some of the failure, so that they don't repeat what we spent time doing and can learn from it to help accelerate uh, solutions around ocean-bound plastic globally. So a big problem. We're making great progress, but so much more to do. Mm -hmm. Great. And as you touched on there, that's definitely a story that that resonates with with people, as you say, like the staff like it, and then just the citizen in me just enjoys the story of, of thinking that a product that I have was once a water bottle that was going to go into a waterway. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. It's, uh, 
it definitely, I think, connects, you know, so many of the issues that, you know, we're facing, right? Our sustainable impact strategy has three pillars, planet, people, and community. And, um, you know, this issue is one of those things that kind of transcends all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think when you see the power of, you know, solutions that can provide connection to some of the systemic problems around income inequality in certain locations, um, uh, education opportunities, and we've been able to tie our ocean-bound plastic work um, to each of those streams of our strategy, planet, people, and community. And I think that's one of the reasons why it resonates so much. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, I think that's all the questions that I have time for today, Ellen. I know you have a super jam-packed morning, so I will let you um, crack on with that. But thank you so much for taking the time to join us on this special edition of the podcast. Great. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you once again to Ellen for dialing in. It's always tricky to find a good time to dial California from the UK and vice versa, but always worth it to catch up with the sustainability leaders that we don't always get to hear from too often. And that was the last exclusive interview segment for this episode and all we have time for, but we're going to be bringing you more exclusive Plastic Free July content as the month goes on. If you missed the last episode of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast, which was a net zero business special with E.ON and Nottingham City Council, you can access it on ed.net or via our Spotify, SoundCloud or Apple channels. All of our past episodes are available through these channels and this latest episode will be of particular interest to anybody who is looking at flexible energy technologies, demand side response or energy digitisation and democratisation. I can't give too much away about the upcoming episodes at the moment, but do stay tuned in the weeks to come for more deep dives into net zero strategies, more green recovery debates and more radical approaches to resource management. And hopefully Matt and or Luke will find it in their hearts to keep me company at a social distance, of course, for an episode in the near future. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well and keep up the sustainable business momentum. It's a goodbye from me. Goodbye.